0: Good morning. I want to thank Dan the aged, I mean uh, Paul the aged, and my daughter Hannah. As you can see, today we are going to be speaking on the issue of forgiveness, and I know for many of you, including myself, this can be a very, very sensitive issue, uh, so as we go through this, please understand that I realize that it's not going to be an easy topic for some of us, okay? Okay. Um, Let me begin by prayer, and then we'll go ahead and get started. Father, we thank you that you are an amazing, amazing God. And Father, we thank you that forgiveness is really at the heart of what it means for us to be abiding. We pray that you would help us to be a people who are marked by forgiveness. We pray for each and every person that has come here, that we all have at different times and maybe currently have walls of unforgiveness, and we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit and through your word that you would convict us and help us to have the courage that it will take to bring down those walls. I pray that we would learn from Philemon today and that we would go home and be a new people because we will have refreshed relationships because we have continued the process of forgiving. So we give this time to you and we thank you and we ask that you would be pleased now in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are we're going to be speaking on the issue of forgiveness and we are going to be looking at the importance as you look at all these different things that are up here we left a question mark because for some of you you have your own issue or issues that will need to be forgiven. But what I want to do is I just want to set the stage by reviewing the story of Paul and Philemon and Onesimus. If you have your Bibles I'd like you to open it to the book of Philemon. That was the recording we, that we heard, and then we saw Dan actually penning the book, or Paul penning the book. And I want us to just think, Paul, is when he is writing this, he's writing this in prison. He's under house arrest. He, uh, is, he is in Rome as he writes this, and he is writing it to Philemon, who he, who he had actually led to Christ. Philemon is a rich slave owner, and he has numbers of slaves, one of which his name is Onesimus. And so Onesimus as a slave did something either he stole from Philemon or he did something that caused Philemon great harm and cost money and then he fled. And so when Philemon or when Onesimus fled he fled all the way to Rome about 2000 miles away. And I think he was thinking I'm done with this. Whatever I've done is now behind me. And so what lies ahead of me is a new world, a new opportunity. Uh, But the problem with that is God wasn't going to let Onesimus stay where he was. And so somehow when Onesimus flees to Rome, guess who he bumps into? Paul. And so when he meets Paul, Paul begins to talk with him. Paul then leads actually Onesimus to Christ. And in that process, Onesimus must have shared that he knew a person by the name of Philemon from Colossae. And so then Paul says, guess what? I know Philemon from Colossae. I led him to Christ. And then Paul must have heard also that Onesimus had done something that violated that relationship. And he told Philemon, or Onesimus, you need to go back. You need to go back and make things right with Philemon. And so Onesimus has a choice to make, doesn't he? So he decides he's going to make that 2,000 mile journey with Tychius. They're going to deliver a message to Colossae, the book of Colossians, but they're also going to deliver a message to Philemon. So when they actually arrive, it's, uh, Philemon has a church in his home. I believe that uh, Aphia is his wife and Archippus is his son. And so that's the setting for this story. And so we're going to look at three main principles as we go through this. The first one is that forgiveness is a choice. The second one is that forgiveness will lead to healthy relationships. And the third one is that forgiveness... Uh, is an act of worship, okay? So let's begin with the the first one, that forgiveness is a choice. And so if you look in verse 9 and 10, it says this, uh, Yet for love's sake, rather, I appeal to you. And again in verse 10, I appeal to you. And so Paul recognizes that Philemon is going to have a difficult choice. And what he says is, I want to appeal to you. I want you to search who you are before God, and you are going to have to make a choice. And then it goes on, and we also see that for, as a choice, forgiveness cannot be forced. And so if you look at verses uh, 8 and 14, it says, And therefore, though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what is proper, rather I appeal to you. And then in verse 14, But without your consent, I did not want to do anything that your goodness should not be, as it were, by compulsion. And so Paul is now appealing to him and saying, Hey, look. You have to, within who you are, forgive Onesimus. It has to be something that you do. It has to be a choice that you will make. It's not something I can force. And so when I think about is we've been raising our kids. We have seven children. By the way, my name's Carl. I did not introduce myself. My name's Carl, and we have seven kids. That we have, from the time they were two and could begin to speak, we would always help them to understand when you've hurt somebody, you need to say, I apologize, please forgive me. So as they're young, you hear, apologize, give me, apologize, give me. But as they get older, we begin to hear a different thing. What we begin to hear is, I apologize, okay? Because mom and dad have said, hey, you know, we heard you bickering, you guys need to make up. Apologize, okay? It's like, okay, well, that was a little on the contrived side, a little forced, right? But no, we want to appeal to our kids that they would do that spontaneously, and that's what Paul is after And so as all of us think through forgiveness, it has to be something that comes from within who we are. The next one, or the next aspect of as being a choice, is that the power for us to forgive is always within our ability to do. We can never say, I can't forgive. God has given us the capacity and the ability to forgive regardless of what has ever taken place in our lives. For some of you, I recognize you're thinking, whoa, you have no clue who I am. You don't know my past. You don't know what I've been through. You haven't walked in my shoes. And you're right. I haven't done any of those things. But guess what? We have a Savior who has. And so if we think about Jesus hanging naked on a cross, humiliated, right? The last two things he does, besides taking care of his mother, Is he forgives. So think about it. He forgives those who nailed him to the cross, who were murdering him. Father, forgive them in Luke, right? Luke 23. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And then he looks to the person, the repentant thief on his, whatever side it is, and he says, Today you will be with me where? In paradise. He has been forgiven. And then Jesus yields his spirit and he dies. So the last two acts that Jesus did were to forgive. And so you would think, hey, I'm not Jesus. I can't do that. Okay? You're not Jesus. But Jesus in his humanity was the one who did that. And so I want to tell you another story a story of Tom. Now, Tom's brother uh, was, uh, he worked as an undercover policeman. And. While he was doing that, he was trying to break up a mob that was creating, doing a great deal of drug trafficking, doing a lot of violence in the city that they lived in. And Tom was a Christian. His brother was not. But his brother, in that whole process of being an undercover policeman, came to Christ. And when he came to Christ, he began to realize that there were things in his life that he had done that he needed to deal with. And so he began to deal with those, but he was still undercover. Finally, they had enough evidence. They prosecuted the case. The people went to jail, but not all of them. Tom went into hiding, but there were some corrupt policemen in the force, and they exposed where Tom was hiding. Some of the people in the mob came, and he suffered a violent death. Now, he had come to Christ, and before he had come to Christ, he had asked his brother, he said, look, I don't know what's going to happen to me, but if anything were to ever happen, I want you to preach at my service. And so when... When his brother, when Tom, heard that he had been murdered, violently murdered, he knew that he was going to now have to preach. But there wasn't a part of him that wanted to preach. He hated the man who did it. He hated the whole situation. And all he had was rage and anger inside. Not an ounce of forgiveness. But being a dutiful brother and a dying wish, he then said, okay, I need to do that. So he arrived to give the message. There were over a thousand people that were there, and he asked three very simple questions. The first one he simply said is How could this happen to the thousand plus people? How could this happen to a person? If God is who he is, how could this possibly happen? And then he simply helped them to understand that we're all sinners. And because of sin, we have evil in our world, and these kind of things happen, and God permits them. He doesn't cause them, but he permits them. And then the second thing he said is, do you want to be with my brother in heaven? If you do, please stand up. And so guess what happened? All the people stood up. Not surprising, correct? And then the third thing that he preached was, okay, you are now all standing, but the only way you can be with my brother in heaven is to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And he began to lead them in a prayer, or in, in through a, a, how a person becomes saved. And then he said, if that, is, if that prayer is something that you want to do, then I would like you to remain standing. And a few people sat down, but the rest stayed standing. And he, in his heart, as he watched the 1,000-plus people who were still standing receiving Christ, he hated the man who did what he did. That had not gone away. He finished his talk. He was thankful that that now was behind him. And then a month went by, and the police gave him a call. said, guess what? We've apprehended the guy that killed your brother. And so he's like, oh, I hate that man. hate everything about what just happened. He took my brother from me. But the Spirit of God put it on his heart and said, you need to go to the prison and forgive that man. And he thought, oh, my word. You've got to be kidding me! But he did. He went to the he went to the the prison. They let him in. The man was was chained behind a table, sitting there. He came in, and the man looked at him and said, "Are you a priest?" Because he was Catholic in his background. And he said, "Yes, I represent God." But as he did that, he was shaking because he was just so still filled with rage. And the Spirit said, You know what? You need to forgive this man. So he sat down with him. He started talking with the man. And because the man had asked if he were a priest, the man began to confess what he had done. And he began to confess all the details that took place in this murder. And, he, and as Tom puts it, each time he would open his mouth, it felt like somebody was stabbing me in the heart. And so finally, the man gets done. Tom prays, or Tom shares Christ with him. The man receives Christ right there. And then the man says, by the way, what's your name? He tells him his name is Tom, whatever. And the man immediately falls to the floor. He's sobbing uncontrollably because he realized that's the brother of the man that he killed and that he has just forgiven him. And Tom at this point had absolutely no no anger, no animosity in his heart. And he reached down and he picked the man up. And he said... If God has forgiven you, how can I not forgive you? You are forgiven, I love you, and he embraced him. And that man then became uh, just a wonderful evangelist within the context of uh, the prison. But again, it just shows us that when we think about forgiveness, it is a choice. It doesn't matter. We're all going to have these mixed emotions when we've been hurt. If you look at this, all these different things up here, those are very hurtful things. Sometimes we're on the side of hurting. Sometimes we're on the side of receiving. But with forgiveness, it is always, always within our power to forgive. We can never say, I cannot do that. It's impossible. The next thing is that you won't even say, well, I can... Am I then supposed to just forget? Pretend like it never happened? I mean, some people in here have been greatly violated. I understand that. And the issue isn't forgetting. So if you look with us, or look with me, turn to... uh, Philippi or Philemon uh, verse 18 or 17 and 18. It says, if you regard me as a partner, accept him as you would me. But if he has wronged you anyway or owes you anything, charge that to my account. And so forgiveness is not forgetting. Forgiveness involves restitution. Paul here is willing to pay whatever the debt is that Onesimus has accrued because of whether he stole something or damaged something. Paul says, just charge that to my account. And so when we forgive, we don't forget, but we don't hold a grudge. And that may mean that you need to put safety things in in place if it's been something that is very inappropriate, but we still need to reach out and to forgive that person and then cause restitution. I can remember the first time I came overseas, it was in the early 90s. There there was no internet at that point, and uh, I needed somebody to watch my finances. Because I knew he was going to be gone for a number of years, and I needed somebody who could actually, you know, when I got a bill that would come in, that they could pay the bill. Well, after a year, a friend began to help me understand that the man was actually stealing my money. And then I had given a car that was supposed to be given to a very close friend of mine who uh, was doing uh, work with unwed mothers, and that his son was driving that car. So I had to get on a plane, go back to the U.S., and try to work through this situation. And I can remember sitting in the room. We were doing church discipline. He was very humble. He received all the things we had to say. And I said, you know, I, the fact that you stole as much money as you did and the fact that you used the car, those are, those are issues that I'm concerned with. But the thing I grew up in, our name was very important in terms of how we handled our finances. You didn't even pay the minimum on my credit card, so now I've got a bad credit record. I said, that is the part I think that hurts the most, is you soiled my family's name and a value that we held. But within that, restitution had to be made. So he had to pay back the money. He had to go to counseling. He had to get a regular job. And he did all those. Through his credit, he did all those. And so, again, forgiveness, it is a choice, but it doesn't mean we forget. Restitution is and should be involved many times. And then finally, is forgiveness is a lifelong practice? I think it's easy for us to think that, uh, you know, I forgive and I've, I've got it down now. But if you look, it's interesting in these verses. Turn to look at verse 24 or verse 23 and 24. It says, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greet you. As do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas. You think, okay, you know, we get to that part of the scriptures and what do we normally do? We just close our Bibles, right? But those people are key in Paul's life. If you think about Mark, you've got to go back to the book of Acts chapter 22, okay? And what happens, or, or, or you have to go back even further than that, I'm sorry, where Mark and Barnabas are on a missions trip. Do you remember this? And they take who? This guy by the name of John Mark. Mark. Okay, they're out and they're doing their ministry and all of a sudden John Mark says, I can't do this. There is no way I can do this. I'm, I'm quitting. And then Paul and Barnabas finish the trip. Then they're going, they're going to make a second trip. And guess what? Barnabas, the son of encouragement, says, hey, I want to bring guess who? Mark. And what do you think Paul says? Absolutely not. That is not going to happen not on my watch. And so then Barnabas and Paul they go at it. And finally they split. The the conflict gets so great that they actually split. Paul takes Silas, Barnabas takes Mark, and they're off. But when you see here it says that Mark, and he calls him my fellow worker. And then when you get to the very end of Paul's life in 2 Timothy chapter 4 you can see that Paul says about Mark that Hey, make sure you bring Mark because he is useful to me. And so Paul had already reconciled the relationship with Mark, and so that is a just another example that Paul was the thing he was asking Philemon to do is the very thing he was involved in doing himself. But then you look at Demas. Demas at this point is called a fellow worker. But when you get to the same place that Mark is asking, or that Paul is asking Mark to come, Demas is deserting Paul in his hour of need. Paul is this Paul with one other person. He wants Mark to come, but Demas has left him. And so Paul in his heart, in his hour of need, realizes that one of those people who had been close to him has left him for the things of this world. And he's going to have to work through all those issues again in his own heart to forgive Demas. And so forgiveness is a lifelong process. And so the first thing then is that forgiveness is a choice. We have to see that. And then the second thing is that forgiveness... Uh, leads to healthy relationships. Forgiveness leads to healthy relationships. and You need to think of this in three ways. One is forgiveness frees the forgiver. Okay, so we're going to look at that in a minute. And also that forgiveness values the person that is being forgiven. And then the last one is that forgiveness benefits all those around. So let's look first at the fact that forgiveness frees the forgiver. If you look at the context here, Paul is in prison. He's a prisoner. And as a prisoner, he has no rights. His rights have been taken away, right? Onesimus, though he has fled, was a slave, and a slave has no rights. In that culture, a slave is simply a piece of property. And so in this story, the only person that has any rights is Philemon, or so you would think. But the ironic thing is in this story, the real issue is Paul is free, though he's in house arrest. He's free because he's doing the things that God wants him to do, right? Onesimus is free because he is returning to make things right with Philemon. Though he'll become a slave again, he is making the relationship right. So he is free. And so the only real question here, is Philemon going to be free? Because when he stands before Onesimus and they deliver this letter, Philemon is going to have a choice to make, isn't he? He's going to have to say, either I forgive Onesimus or I don't. And so if he forgives him, he will enjoy freedom. If he doesn't, he'll be in a self-imposed jail. And that's the way it is. When we choose not to forgive, we do not hurt the person we're not forgiving, to be honest. But I think sometimes we think, I would never forgive that person. Why? Because I want to make them suffer. Who's suffering? They're off doing whatever they're doing, right? The issue is we're suffering, We've put ourselves in prison. We're the ones who get angry. We're the ones who get bitter. We're the ones who play that issue over and over and over and over again in our minds. Well, that person's doing whatever. And so the first thing I, I want us to see is that true forgiveness will set you, the forgiver, free. Regardless of your circumstances. So that's the first aspect. Then the second aspect has to do with the person being forgiven. That forgiveness values the person that you're forgiving. And so if you look with me, turn to verse 15 and 16. It says, perhaps, perhaps for this reason, uh, uh, let's see, for perhaps he was for this reason parted for you for a while, that you should have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but what? But as a brother. And so Paul is in this appeal to Philemon. He's trying to say, look, I know he hurt you. I know he left. I know it cost you. But what I'm appealing for you to do is to see him in a different light. Maybe, just maybe, the sovereign God of the universe actually had him leave for a reason. Okay? And that reason was so that when he came back, he would no longer be a slave, but be your brother. And you have to understand in this, in this context, when he says that, he's changing categories. Because Onesimus is a thing. He is a slave. The slave owner can do whatever they want. I have a pen. I can do whatever I want with this pen. I can break it. I can clean my teeth with it. I can comb my little bit of hair with it. Whatever I want to do, it's a thing and therefore I can do what I want with it. Paul's saying, you know what? Onesimus is no longer a thing. Don't view him like that. He is now a person. And not only is he a person, he's a brother. A brother in Christ. And so Paul, what he's actually asking Philemon to do is to change categories in how he views Philemon. And if you think about it, when you are super angry with somebody who has really hurt you, what do you do? Usually we denigrate them, right? Oh, that person's He's like garbage to me. He's a thing. Because then we feel in our heart the freedom to not forgive. Because he's just a thing. And we use things all the time. But Paul is saying, no, we can't do that. We have to see the person for who God has made them to be. We have to value them. And so forgiveness values the person being forgiven. And then the next one is the idea that Forgiveness um, benefits all those who are involved with the people who are in conflict. And so we can say, okay, wait a minute. You know, I'm not even a part of this. How does that possibly affect me? Well, we've heard that bitterness defiles what? Many, right? And so if a person's not willing to forgive, then in their heart what begins to happen is all those around them are affected. And so that's where Paul says, hey, you know, if you're going to do this, do this as, a, as if I'm going partner so that I might benefit from your being restored in this relationship. And so, currently, at this very moment, I'm trying to work with two different men. We're trying to accomplish this goal, and these two different men cannot get along. And it's shocking to me, actually, because they're supposed to be very mature Christians, and I feel like I'm in the middle of these two individuals, and I've talked to both of them. You need to forgive this person. You need to forgive this person. Would you please just kiss and make up so we can actually do this, get go forward? And to date, they have still not kissed and made up. And it's creating major problems for us to try to move forward in this other thing. And so their inability or unwillingness to choose to forgive each other is creating Problems for a number of other people who are waiting on us to get this other project done. And so, bitterness will defile many. And so, forgiveness is a choice. Forgiveness helps us to uh, live healthy uh, relationships. And then finally, forgiveness is, a, is an act of worship. And if you think about what worship is, worship is responding to the greatness of God. It's responding to the greatness of God. And so, if you look at verse 15 and 16, it says, for perhaps for this reason, uh, Onesimus has parted for a while, that you should have him back for, for, um, forever as a brother. So Paul is trying to help Philemon just to gain the, the idea that, hey, did you ever think that maybe God allowed this to take place so that there could be a change in categories for this guy, that you could maybe not have a slave now, but you would have a brother in Christ, that God was the architect or the one who at least allowed this to happen He's sovereign, and ultimately, he's responsible. And so in that, he's trying to help Philemon to recognize the fact that if you're really going to enter into worship, you're going to have to come to that conclusion that God is sovereign, and he has the freedom to do those kind of things in our lives. But the problem is none of us like those kind of uncomfortable things, do we? And again, I'm not saying that God is the author of evil because he's not, but God will permit evil things to take place in our life for a greater good. That I am saying, and he's done that with Onesimus and Philemon. Uh, And so the question, when we're trying to think through the issue here, is that for us to truly enter worship, we must then submit. Right? We have to say, God, you're the boss, and I'm not. Remember, we we talked about the issue of the chair, and when we choose not to forgive, guess what? We're on the chair. Because we're in control. And if we're in control and we're on the chair and we're unwilling to forgive, there is no way we can worship. If you look at Matthew 5, right, it talks about the guy who wants to worship. And it says, hey, you know what? If you know you have something against your brother, go make it right. And then you come back and worship. Ooh, got to resolve the issue before you can enter worship. And so the whole issue here is that forgiveness acknowledges God's sovereignty as an act of worship. And then uh, also on the issue of worship, if we just think for a minute about what God has done, uh, I think it's beautifully summed up in Matthew 18. You have the two different servants. Do you know the story? Uh, You've got the one servant who owns or owes us enormous debt, okay, something he couldn't pay off in a thousand lifetimes. And his master comes and says, hey, you need to pay me and you need to pay me now. He goes, hey, there's no possible way I can pay this debt. And so finally, the master says, okay, I have forgiven your debt completely. You are forgiven. And he leaves. And as he's leaving, he's actually seeking out a person who owes him money. And he finds the servant. He says, you pay me back my money now. He says, hey, I need 100 days, and I can pay this thing off. Just give me 100 days, and we're good. No way. Takes the guy and has him thrown in jail. Well, wow, the other servants are watching all this, and they're just shocked. I mean, he's just been forgiven this huge debt. And he was making this guy pay this very little debt. And so they tell them this, the master, the master comes, he takes the guy, and he throws him into prison. And so again, what we need to begin to think is, if we look at our own personal life, we need to realize that our personal life and all our sins would more than fill up this piece of paper, even if we did them in microfish form. In the smallest possible print that you could, right? It would just go on and on and on. But there's something really amazing that's taken place. And if you look at the book of Colossians, they introduce this concept. When you are in prison in the Roman Empire, they put a piece of paper with the offense on the door. And it lists, here are your offenses, and here's the amount of time that you will need to spend in prison. And when they are done, they stamp this word, Right here, to on the paper. They then open the prison door, they let you go out, and they give you this list of offenses with this word die written on it. Then when you are out and about and somebody says, Hey, I know who you are, you did such and such, and you should still be in jail. Ha ha ha, no, no, no. die which means paid in full. It's finished. It's done. I've put in my time. Okay? Well, guess what? When you or I come to Christ, the very last words Jesus said on the cross is guess what? It is finished. To die." And when we come to Christ, this long, 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 very long list of offenses has this word written on it, to die. It is finished. All your sins, past, present, and future have been forgiven. Now, in light of that, how could Philemon not forgive Onesimus for a single offense? Right? How could any of us not forgive anybody for what they do? Because it's one, two, two, three things. And again, I'm not trying to belittle how serious forgiveness is. Some very bad things have happened to people in this room. And I know that personally. Okay? But forgiveness is a choice. And so I want to encourage all of us to recognize that if God has forgiven us so much, then I appeal to you, whatever, if you have a wall like this, you need to start taking it apart one brick of unforgiveness at a time. When you forgive, that brick gets to go away. And the interesting thing is, without exception, everybody who saw this before we started, all they wanted to do was, guess what? Knock the wall down. They go, cool, can I come up and kick it down when you're done? I'm like, sure. But you know what? You need to do that in your own life first. Are we that excited about knocking down the walls of unforgiveness that we have in our own lives? Brick by brick, event by event, are we willing to forgive because that is the only way this wall is going to ever disappear. It is the only way that we are going to be free. It is the only way that we are going to be able to enter into worship with the Lord in a very special, intimate way. So I recognize in this room, though you're very calm, and some of you are super stirred up right now. And that's okay. Let the Spirit guide you right now to give you the boldness you need To knock the wall down. We have to do that. That is the only way we will ever truly be free. So let me pray. Father, we thank you that you have forgiven us so, so very much. Father, I would pray for each and every person in this room. There so are Hurts that are extremely, extremely deep. There are people that have been very, very gravely violated. I pray that they, like Tom, like Jesus, like all those who are forgiven, can make that choice to forgive. I pray that as they do that, they can experience the freedom that comes with that, that they can enjoy the fact that they can enter into worship in a special way, that they can have a healthy life one that is focused on you, one that is clear, one that can see people properly. And so I do pray that you would give all of us the boldness that we need to take off those bricks of unforgiveness one at a time through forgiveness. And we pray that your spirit would empower us to do that, and we pray that you'd be glorified in the process. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.